you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate your worship team uh, for your ministry tonight. Um, Kenny's service uh, will be uh, this coming uh, Saturday. Uh, the meal for the family will be at 11. Uh, there will be a 12.30 visitation, and then a 1.30 visitation will be in uh, in the sanctuary, and a 1.30 celebration of life service, and he'll be laid to, we- to rest at Tidwell Cemetery uh, here in Greenville. Also tonight, if you're interested uh, right now, if you didn't get the notice or didn't realize, uh, Pain to Purpose uh, is taking place tonight over next door. And uh, if you need any help, one of our ushers can show you how to get there. Empty Nesters will be meeting uh, Saturday at 5 o'clock for the annual fish fry. I know many of you are excited about that. If you uh, fry the fish, they will come. So come on. Uh, And then we're going to have Mother's Day brunch. Uh, as we celebrate our ladies in the house uh, come uh, Sunday morning. That's going to be in place of our life class. So, ladies, uh, come on out. Let us honor you. Invite somebody. And uh, we appreciate that. If some of you are able to, right after service, we're going to set up some tables uh, in preparation for the activities that will take place over there. And so if you're available, would you just meet us over there next door as we set up tables after service? Amen? Amen. I want you to take your Bibles with me. And go to Luke, Luke the first chapter, Luke the first chapter tonight. As you're turning there, I'm going to switch microphones on you, Don. Let's um, look. <laughs> no worries. All right, let's go to the Lord once more and ask for His help tonight. Father, we just love you. Lord, if we don't just say it, Lord, we do love you. Lord, I just, I pray tonight, Lord, as we do what we can do, Lord, I pray that you will do what you do best. And Lord, just move on our hearts. God, we, we need you. Lord, we need you in a mighty way. Lord, there's somebody in this house, Lord God, that needs you. And Lord, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory ahead of time. Lord, I just thank you for the anointing and everyone said amen. Amen. Now, I've been struggling over a title for this series. Last week, I just called it Revival, and that's, that's great. I think it, that encompasses a lot of things. I, I thought about a title for the, for the series the next couple of weeks, you know, Markers of a Move. You know, you've got clear indicators of God's moving in a person's life, in corporately in a body of believers, and I thought, well, maybe that was that was a good one. Um, signs of revival, road signs to revival. I don't know. I just want to talk to you about what it looks like when the Spirit of God moves on someone. And I'm not talking about manifestations. I love manifestations of the Spirit, but I'm more interested in transformation. If there's a manifestation that brings a, a transformation, I'm great. I don't get any uh, spiritual notches if you stand up or fall down when I pray for you. That, that's not really what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is how is God moving in your heart? The barometer, the, the thermometer, the, uh, the, the gauge, if you will, that I'm looking for when, when we talk about the move of the Spirit of God is transformation. What does that, what does that look like in an individual's life? Now, we're looking here at uh, Luke 1. And I'm going to read, I'm going to skip down to verse 13. And we're using this as kind of our, our launching pad as we look at this uh, series of messages uh, of signs of revival. We see here uh, in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel comes and he's given Zechariah the announcement that his wife, who they sought for children for years, and she has been barren, you're going to have a child in your old age. Now, a lot of times we start praying prayers, and then God answers those prayers a little after our timing and more to his timing. Because now it's like you've got to know it's the Lord. God's got a greater sign in what he's doing. Maybe we'll talk about that more at length at a later time. But let's look here in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, speaking about going before Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, <coughs> excuse me, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, last week we picked up on the fact, and, and we, we see that John, if you study scripture, you understand typology. You understand that, that persons many times will represent different things, different entities. Here we have uh, John, who's going forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He is, it's not that he has Elijah's possessing him, you understand. It's the same ministry calling. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that Elijah operated in and the ministry operated in to turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to their God, their Jehovah God, is the same spirit that rests upon John. It's the same ministry calling. It's to turn the hearts, not just just of a covenant people, but turn the hearts of humanity back to the Lord God. To, to begin to move by, by bringing emphasis. Elijah brought, he brought emphasis and illumination to the sacrifice. What is John doing? John is bringing illumination to the sacrifice. Amen? And so as we see here, we'll get into that a little deeper. What we see is whenever... If John is the forerunner of Christ and he is, he is in the, operating in the ministry of the Spirit, then when the Spirit comes, he's going to cause certain things to happen in people's lives. Now, last week we saw that he, even from birth, he was a Nazarite. No strong drink, anything to touch his lips. We talked about the vow of a Nazarite. I'm just going to leave you with this, just to recap last week, just slightly. When the Spirit of God moves upon a person, they are distinctively different. They're not the same. They're not the same. You're not going to, you're not going to have an encounter with the living God and go out and continue the way you were. It, it's, going to, it's going to cause, in fact, when the glory of God begins to move upon a people... There's either going to be an acceptance or rejection. There's nowhere in the Word of God where Jesus ministered nearly any place that it was that he didn't have some, some naysayers in the crowd. He didn't have some of those that were out there always wanting to combat. Now, I welcome questions, and, and folks, don't misunderstand me. There are things that I, I, I'm the big question box. Uh, Lord, why this, and why that, and why this? And I want to understand uh, what's going on. There's nothing wrong with, with in inquiry. God welcomes those questions. Amen? But it's when we're combative. It's when we're resistant to what God wants to do. That's when we start to get ourselves so in trouble. So what we see is when the Spirit of God begins to move, we are distinctively different. He was a Nazarite. He, 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 didn't, he didn't just do everything everybody else did. In fact, he was a Nazarite. He was consecrated from birth. I believe if child of God, you are consecrated from birth. And I'm not talking about your physical birth. I'm talking about your spiritual birth. When you step into the kingdom of God, you've been set aside and set apart. You've been separated from and set apart to the work of God. You have been consecrated to the work of the kingdom of God. Now, what I want to pick up on tonight is this. I want you to look there at the, the very last few words that I, I read there. This is what kind of stood out to me as I was looking at this. Notice, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Matthew tells us, Matthew 3, before we, we kind of pick up on what that preparation means, because when the Spirit comes and begins to move, why does he move? He's moving because he's making preparation for you and I to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's, he's, he's making a preparation. Now, I know there is a futuristic tense in what he's saying here in that we will, he's preparing the world to meet the bridegroom, the bride to meet the bridegroom, but there is no salvation without the moving of God's spirit upon a person's heart to bring them to a place. You don't just pick and choose the, the time and the place that you're going to come to God. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule this on, on, on Tuesday next month. No, you come when the Father draws you by His Spirit. You come when God says it's time to come. You come when the opportunity opens up. And I do believe that the Lord wants you saved more than you want to be saved. I do believe the Lord wants you rescued more than you want to be rescued. But I do know this. You come when God's calling. You, you don't, you, you, to resist, to keep pushing back, to say, no, I'll do it on my time. I'll do it after I get through running around over here, after I get through taking care of this and taking care of that. No, you better get it taken care of now. When God's conviction begins to come on you, you've got to begin to move at the, at the moment of the opportunity that God begins to call you. So we see here in Matthew 3, we talk about the preparation being prepared to receive the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist, who we just saw was birthed and is going to come forth in chapter 1. Now, Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So here is John in the wilderness, and he is, he is declaring, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. To fulfill the prophecy, in fact, in other gospels, when they came to John and said, are you Elijah, are you a prophet, are you, a, are you one of those guys? And he's like, no. They said, well, just tell us. We need to know who are you. He said, I'm a voice in the wilderness calling. <laughs> one crying in the wilderness. So as we look at that, we got to look at the ministry of John. Let's look at Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. You don't mind doing a little Bible study during the Bible study, do you? I didn't think so. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Isaiah 43 and 5. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who's this? This is John. John, by the power of the Spirit. What is he declaring? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked paths will be made straight, and the rough paths smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. A highway in the wilderness. Highway in the wilderness. What is the highway in the wilderness that, that brings the, the mountains and the hills down and the valleys up, the crooked place straight and the rough place is smooth good question what is it see <clears throat> there was an imagery being formed there that I don't know why I'm ringing but anyway there was an imagery being formed there of things that those in the ancient world understood when a monarch many times were going to travel through a wilderness area they would send their their harbingers their their messengers their servants if you will and they would go and prepare a roadway into the place. When that monarch would pass through there, in, in fact, there was a, the, the queen of Babylon, when she was going to travel, his, history tells us that, that she put great expense to travel to see the Medes and the Persians. And it was going to be her stamp of her her precedence and her mark in history and so she would have them tear down some of the mountain areas and lift up the valleys and and she would straighten out the path to make it as smooth and as straight as she could 
And see, when the language is being spoken here, they understood what that meant. There's a king, a monarch, a, a, an emperor, one that is coming. And when he comes, what will happen? His messengers that go before him, what, what, what will they be doing? They'll be bringing the high places down low and bringing the low places up. They will be causing the crooked places to become straight and the rough places to become smooth. Now what does that for you and I to prepare us for God? Was well, found there in the text that we just read. What call repent. What happens when we repent? When we truly start seeing our sin as God sees our sin. When we begin to understand the love that God expresses through his sacrifice. See, I, I don't know that we truly come to a heart of repentance until we begin to see our sin as God sees our sin. As we begin to see that it is an eternal separation from the living God, that our sin is the reason why that we will fall into a damnable hell and will never return. Our sin is what separates us eternally from the living God. And so when we, God gives us this beautiful, wonderful gift called repentance, it is, a, it is not just a turning away, it is a different mindset about who you are and what you're, the life you're supposed to be living. And what does it do? The mountains and hills, and in, in the biblical typology, mountains many times represent kingdoms and hills could represent governments. What happens, it begins to bring the, the kingdoms of this world down. It begins to bring the, the governance of our mind and, our, and, and the, the pride of the kingdoms of this world. It begins to bring it down. So there, you can't come in here thinking that you're going to pride your way into the kingdom of God. I'm here first because I'm the greatest in my house. No, it's going to be an understanding that, my God, I've got to have redemption. I've got to have transformation. I am lost without God. I'm eternally separated without Him. And there's something that comes on us called conviction, and it leads us to repentance. And we begin to cry out to God, not in our arrogance, but in our humility. And it causes our shame and our pain from the lowest part of our being to begin to have the strength to rise up. Oh, when I say, oh, God, He either kill me or save me, but my God, I can't stay like this. All of a sudden, what I couldn't do before, now I can do because God, in the gift of repentance, causes me to lift up a little higher so the king can get into the throne room of my heart. He makes the crook path straight. He can take care of some twisted thinking in our mind. Uh, I'm telling you, there's a spirit in the land. And it's a deceptive spirit that wants to elevate itself higher than God. It, it, wants, to, it wants to cloak itself in spirituality to, to make up for some loss or lack in someone's life. You're saying, preacher, we're not supposed to be spiritual? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is every action that we take should be to the glory to the king. Every move that we make should be to the furtherance of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. We, we should understand that without him, I can do nothing. Amen. And so if anything's accomplished, it's not a boast to me. It's a brag to him. Amen? Without him, I can do nothing. And with him, I can do all things. Amen? So I'm, I'm left without excuse. I can do all things with him, and I can't do anything without him. So if it gets done, it's because he's doing it in me. Amen? I'm participating, praise God. I'm there with him, praise the Lord. But I don't heal the sick. I just lay the hands and believe in the one who does heal the sick. Amen? I, I don't raise the dead. He's the one. He's the dead raiser. He's the flame talker. He's the, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one who gets all of the glory. We're just the donkey. Amen? Oh, I'm telling you, folks, we get it mixed up. We, we, are, we are the donkeys in the scene that want marching into the glory of God. Amen? All the praises is for him, not me. Amen? Come on. You begin to, begin to realize that he'll start changing the twistedness of our minds and our thoughts. And he'll start straightening those things out. Where does that come from? It comes from repentance. Repentance. To say, oh God, move in me. Now, with that glory 
the glory of the Lord will re be revealed. He takes those rough places that we can't seem to navigate and journey quite well. He starts smoothing those things out so that when we begin to repent, this great gift. Now, <clears throat> I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I just believe it's so profound when we get a hold of it. My response to God is faith. His response to me is grace. You've been here any length of time, you've heard me say that repeatedly. But also, God's response to those outside of covenant, maybe even those that haven't quite realized they're in covenant and who they are in Christ. His response to them is conviction. <laughs> and God, our response to, to that conviction is repentance. Amen? So it's a, so let's talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord tells us that nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, Jesus speaking to his disciples, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, the consoler will not come to you, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. And we know Jesus made it for what reason? Because the Spirit came back. Amen? The Spirit came down. And when he has come, this is his ministry to the world. He will convict, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Convict conviction. It means to bring to light, to expose, to convince, to bring you, bring the, the indictment against you to your understanding. It means to rebuke, correct, to discipline, and if necessary, to punish. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, send the Spirit just now. <laughs> See, but when the, a true sign of revival, people are quick to repent because conviction is so heavy upon a people in a place that there's such deep conviction that comes down. What does he convict us of? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin <clears throat> because they do not believe in me. I got a greater understanding as potentially, Andrew can help me with this a little bit. When we were in Israel a few weeks ago, we spoke to a gentleman who declared himself an ultra-Orthodox Jew. And we talked to him about, about the law and Torah and, and such. And this is the statement he made. We didn't make this. He said, yeah, he, we, we talked to him about how do, you, how do you measure righteousness and right standing and salvation and, and so forth. He said, well, if you put forth a real good effort to keep the Torah and God, God sees that, then, then that's what we constitute as, as being good enough to make it in. Good effort. Well, <clears throat> it doesn't altogether leave some, you know, maybe some, some, some credit on his side in the sense that if you only believe in the Old Testament, you don't get the teaching in the New. Where James said, if you are guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. <laughs> and your righteousness alone is not enough to get you in to the kingdom of God. In fact, you are born into a world, you are flawed. Your good works will never be enough to get you to where you need to go. 
In fact, you are guilty from the start, from the time that you come to the awareness of, of the fact that you are living in the world and you are aware that there is sin in the world, then now you are accountable for your own life. And so you are guilty from the start. And the Spirit comes in and he says, I am indicting you on these charges that are against you, that are against the blood and the Father's covenant between humanity. And so you you are left with no other alternative but to turn to the sacrifice that God made and said, Lord, I am guilty as sin. Lord, make me into the righteousness of God in you. See, convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me, because they believe in I, of righteousness because I go to my Father. You know what? Without the guide of the Holy Spirit, we're always going to fall back into that trap of self-righteousness. I cannot tell you the number of people I've talked to when I ask them about their eternity, and they always begin to compare themselves to someone else. Where Paul said, that's not even wise to do such a thing, because your gifting and callings are different than my gifting and callings. But that's not the comparison we need to make. The comparison we need to make is ourselves to the flawless one. And I assure you that will keep you out of the self-righteous camp because you understand you will never measure up. And if you decide to go the route of a legalist, you're just selective at best because you cannot keep all of the law. You cannot do it. And so the Holy Spirit has to come down and say, look, your righteousness is not something you do. It's something you become in the Christ Jesus. He has not only, he's not only declared you righteous, he has empowered you to walk the walk that you need to walk in him. So he comes and he convicts of sin of righteousness. In other words, he, he lets us know that we are eternally separated from God. And until you come to the place where you begin to understand that without Christ's sacrifice, you are eternally separated from God. And you can put on a big show and say, I'll party with my homies when I get down there. Let me tell you, there'll be no party going on. There'll only be torment, damnation, and hell, and it'll be for all of eternity. It'll be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Eternally separated from God righteousness because God wants us to understand the relationship that we have with him that our relationship is based upon his love sacrifice for us and see if I can when I start to see my sin as he sees my sin and then I begin to understand I can't make it without him nor would I want to I'm not looking to to get my get out of jail free card get out of hell free card I want to enter into a relationship with God. He not only opens the door, but he invites me in the house. I don't live in that shack I used to live in uh, in my own self, self-worth and that value. Now I live into I live as a child of the king. But he not only lets us in and say, look, you're no longer separated from the from my love. Uh, you're not only you're no longer separated from my relationship. Uh, we are made to walk together. You can't do this on your own, nor should you even try. So now he brings that conviction upon me. And when that conviction comes, I'm like, yes, God, I repent, Lord God. Creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. So once that conviction comes of, of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, folks, it's not only understanding that God brings conviction, a separation to bring us into relationship with him, but now we understand that the prince of this world is judged. Amen? So if you have this declaration over your life, the devil made me do it, you haven't come to the realization of who you are in Christ. Amen? Because the devil's not making you do it. Now, let me, let me bring that down to where we're living, child of God. I'm speaking to the children of the Lord right now. When you come into the kingdom of God, you have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And that sin that you're struggling with does not have a hold on you. You're holding on to it. And you need to know you have the power through Jesus Christ to let it go. 
you have the power not to step into those dark areas. And if you find yourself there, he can take that crooked thinking, that stinking thinking, and when you repent under the conviction, he can straighten that thing right out. You'll you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You can be as free as you're willing to walk in truth. Truth will bring you into the intimacy of God. Truth will cause you to walk free from sin. Truth will, will help you to know who he is and who you are in him. Amen? Mm. Conviction. Conviction. Now let me let me say this to you, and, and I'm not talking about going out and, and roughing somebody up. I'm not interested in that. Nor am I interested in in and I've had people come and tell me testimonies. Yeah, I walked up to that drunk and I slapped that beer out of their hand and I knocked that cigarette out of their hand and, and they slammed the door on me. I was like, I don't know why. I, I don't think you're in the right spirit. <laughs> But I will tell you, as we look at 1 Thessalonians 2 and 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Much conflict. See, uh, we cannot buy into a theological ideology that only presents the gospel as a comfortable additive to your best life now. No, it is a transformation. And in order to bring conviction, there's going to be some conflict with sin because Jesus came to to Mary over him by the angel said he will he will save his people from their sins not in their sins but from their sins so the greatest detriment to our lives is our own sin amen is the sin that causes us to, to, to fall into the place of the traps of the enemy. But see, the Lord not only purchased us, redeemed us, he empowered us to overcome sin, Satan, and self. Because if God doesn't change our nature to want what he wants, to live as he lives, to be as he is in the world, then folks will fall right back into that same trap. That's why last week we understood we are distinctively different than who we were when we started out on this journey. And now we have the power through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we can now repent and be right with God in relationship with Him that will transform ourselves. And oh my God, I pray, would you come down in this house this day and then Lord God not let one person who is outside a covenant relationship with you live another day separated from God. Conviction is a beautiful thing that we have pushed out and aside and replaced with comfort in the body of Christ. Folks, I'm not saying this to the detriment. I'm not saying being a browbeater. I don't understand what I'm saying to you. We need to begin to pray, God, bring conviction into this house bring conviction into our homes that when the alcoholic come in they walk out sober when the adulterer comes in they walk out chaste when we see those that are broken battered and abused by the world they walk into this place and sin has ravished their body ravished their mind that they are set right and they begin to move in a direction that leads them to the path of righteousness for him his name's sake, where he gets all the glory. Could I, could I read a little bit to you? One of my favorite stories about, about uh, revival and revival history 
I just, I believe if God did it before, he can do it again. Uh, the Isle of Lewis, you guys, you guys read the revivals, the Hebrides revival and move. It's just exciting to think about that this actually happened, <clears throat> 1949 to 1952. Now, the condition prior to the revival was, according to testimonies, that the legalism had, was extreme. People went through the rituals of a prayer purely out of obligation, duty. There was a woeful absence of, of young people in the church. There were two elderly sisters, Peggy and Christina Smith, 84 and 82. Peggy was completely blind, and Christina was bent over. She couldn't walk upright because of such arthritic in her back, arthritis in her back. But they, they began to pray, pray repeatedly. They would pray several nights a week from, from midnight to three. And I'm not trying to give you formulas, church, so don't take it as such. Because the, it was God's grace that was resting upon them to do such a thing. So they began to pray and began to ask God to move. And the Lord just, just felt like they felt like God was going to move in their community. So they contacted their pastor and expressed to him, said, look, we, we see young people filling up the churches. Would you, would you call for prayer? And because they had such a Christian witness, their pastor trusted them and so they called for prayer began to pray two nights a week and and the word got out in their little village and and people began to pray well as they begin to begin to pray now all of a sudden uh, they were meeting in a barn one night and there was a young deacon and he read psalms 23 he says who shall ascend to the hill of the lord and who shall stand in his holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And when he closed his Bible, he looked at the ministers that were gathered together and to the others, and it says, it seems to me there's been so much humbug to be praying as we are praying to be waiting as we are waiting but we need to ask the question are we really right with God and when he said that conviction fell upon them and they began to weep and cry out to God as God began to reveal the sin in the camp and then all of a sudden the following day everyone was absorbed by the reality of eternal things. The group of intercessors left the barn at early hours of the morning and found men and women as they left there. When the conviction of God fell, they began to repent. And all, when they left out of there, they found people in the ditches and on the sides of the road crying out and repenting and calling out upon God. And every home that very night had lights on and no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. So they invited a minister, and I won't go into the length of the story. You can pull it up online. Just look up Isle of Lewis or Lewis Revivals. And they called a man by the name of Duncan Campbell, and he couldn't get there at the time they wanted him to be there. But they eventually got him there to the place, and he showed up on the aisle at 9 p.m. They went to the church, and they went into the church. There was about 300 people gathered. said so he gave a message, and it was, you know, my message. It was all right. Nothing happened. There was no movement. And this same young deacon, after it was over with, about eight four, about uh, I believe it was nine forty-five at night. He said, "I still believe God's going to do something." This night, he lifted his hands, and began to pray, and as he began to pray, the Spirit of God began to move. And then was someone ran in the back of the church and said, "Oh, you got to come. You got to come." There are 300 people gathered at the police station. There's a, there were a, 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 over 100 youth at the dance hall, and they, they left the dance hall because the Spirit of God fell in there, and they ran out like they thought there was a plague in the place, and they made their way to church. And the 300 people at the police station just so happened to be that people were asking why they go to the police station. They just got on buses some 12 miles away in different villages and just went there because they felt prompted of the Holy Spirit to be there. 
every light in the house and people throughout the entirety of the village got up out of their out put put their clothes on and started making their way to the church well the police station is right next door to Peggy and Christina's house and people began to draw in there and said there was such overwhelming conviction in the land that you could hear people wailing under conviction of God, asking for his mercy, repenting and calling out upon the Lord. And this went on for weeks and weeks. It, that revival lasted three years, but it didn't just stay in that hub of that island. It spread through all of the Hebrides Islands, and God's Spirit began to move. And there was not recorded one healing in all of that revival. But hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of souls came into the kingdom of God. And in a society where it is very common to, to tip the bottle, the bars begin to close. And nobody there in the pubs anymore. Everybody's at church. Everybody's crying out to God. If the Lord can do that there, why can't he do it now? My God, bring conviction. Went to the Brownsville Revivals. Some of you have been there. Who's been there? Who went to the Brownsville Revival? Anybody? One, two, three, four. It's been some years ago. Both my girls were filled with the spirit at the Brownsville Revival. We show up on the one-year anniversary of Father's Day. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it, really. Wasn't keeping up with it. My pastor, I was a youth pastor at the time, and no social media. <laughs> so we just heard there was revival, so we went down there. People lining up. We had to wait six hours to get in. Six hours. They opened those doors, and people they flooded in there. People were shaking like crazy. I looked at Brother Lonnie. I said, I said, is there a mental institution around here? Because people are just, they're just shaking and jerking. And I was serious. He said, no, he said, I think that's part of it. And I was a little critical, to be honest, because I'd never seen anything like it. And the preaching was, was, was okay. Steve Hill did a, did a good job presenting, pretty baseline. But my God, when they gave that altar call, presence of the Lord rested in that place. The awestruck wonder of the glory of God came down in that place in such a magnificent way. It literally felt like Isaiah was so God, I feel I am undone. And when you get a taste of that, you're like, Lord, this could happen. And we've seen it happen. But it needs to happen now, here, now. And I'm so thankful every time someone has that experience in God where there's true conviction. They're not just wanting to have the best life now. They understand I'm wholly separated from God for eternity. I am a sinner. My God, I need a Savior. And they come into the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, that thrills me like nothing else. But I want to see it on a grander scale. Because there are so many that are lost. Don't be settled with your children just having good moral standards and a well-paying job. If they are not serving God, call out to God and ask for conviction to come down upon them. Don't be settled with knowing that your children understand who they are. I pray that your heart would break for the kids in our public schools that are walking into war zones, that are going home every night to who knows what, and then getting pumped with a bunch of junk when they get there. But the godless system is trying to tear down who they are meant to be in God. 
Oh, my God, church. I don't want to look over my shoulder every time I walk into a shopping center. I don't want to be worried about my grandkids going to church and going to school and wonder if they're going to come home. I don't want to be watching the back door and having to have people armed in order to protect the body of Christ. I want the conviction of the power of God to come down in this place. I'm tired of broken marriages and broken bodies and broken homes. I'm going to see the Spirit of God move. If you put something on my tombstone, make it say, he went after it, he went for revival. I want to see God. I'm going to talk about it. I don't want to reminisce about it. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to talk in it. I'm going to see it. About all the excess, bring it. Makes me no difference. I've heard those who hold campaigns in Latin America and Brazil see marvelous meetings where God is healing people. And he was asked, well, you were in the meeting, and they asked him, how much of this is real? And he said, well, probably about 75%. He's like, what, 75%? Yeah, about 75%. There's probably about 20% that's fake and probably about 5% that's demonic. He said, but oh, thank God for that 75%. Amen. Amen. I don't know why people are goofy. They're just goofy, okay? But I'm not going to throw out the, the, the real for a little bit of goofy. Amen? I, I'm not going to throw out to what God wants to do because the devil may show up. I mean, my Lord. <laughs> my Lord. Throw, show up in here, we're going to cast you out. Amen? Amen. Come on. Come on. we got to see people set free. Is anybody just resonating? God, bring conviction in this house. Bring conviction in this city. Bring conviction. And I know, you know, there's somebody asked me the other day, you know, how does it feel to have three kids out of the house? I said, it feels good. Not, not the way you think it does. <laughs> you know how it is when your kids get out and they get established. And, and you feel good about that. And I'll, I'll ask that comment later. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear what you said. I don't want to. But see, sometimes, folks, we settle the kids just getting good jobs and being good citizens. I don't want to settle there. I keep thinking about the day we're living. I keep thinking about my grandkids. What are we going to leave behind? Are we going to leave a legacy? Are we going to leave an understanding? Or are we going to leave the world worse than what it is and keep blaming the next generation because they don't understand it? They were born into a world they did not create. Would you stand with me tonight? God has purposely and intentionally put you in the world in this season. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You have been divinely chosen for this last day harvest. You are here to bring to know him and to make him known. It doesn't matter what the enemy has told you and what you may have received through your broken understanding and your background. You are chosen of God or you wouldn't have breath in your body just now. You have a place and you have a time and you only get that little dash between the beginning and the end if the Lord doesn't come soon. And so what I'm saying to you, let's do the most that we can with the time we have and let's seek God. And if you may say, well, I'm, I'm beyond my prime. Well, don't you think Zachariah and Elizabeth might have thought it's a little too late, Lord, to be bouncing this little one on my 
my knee. You know how much energy it takes to keep up with a little one? Come on, come on. I'm, I mean, as the, as the old adage says, you know, old age is not for wimps. You, know, you got to get up and keep moving. But see, you're still needed. You've not been demoted, you've been promoted. You now have the time to intercede for a generation and to cry out to God. Will you commit with me? I'm going to ask for some commitment. If we had spent 15 minutes a day, no more than that, 15 minutes a day, to ask God for a move of his spirit, 15 minutes, just dedicate 15 minutes. You know what? Right here is four people. That's one hour in one day. You got eight people. That's two hours in one day. You got 12 people. That's three hours. 16, that's four, four hours of prayer. You got 20 people agreeing for revival. That's, that's five hours in a day. There's enough to fill up an entire day just if you did 15 minutes a day. Are you seeing what I'm saying? If you're praying and I'm praying and we're believing and we're seeking God and we're saying, Lord, we want to see the power of God. We want to see, I'm going to pray for your children. You're going to pray for my children. We're going to pray for the children we all see. And we'll just say, God, we need to move. We need laborers in the field. We need conviction in the house. And Lord God, if you'll bring the conviction, we'll ensure that they understand how to repent. They will understand what it means to be who they are in God. Amen. Father, we commit to you this night, Lord God, to commit ourselves 15 minutes a day. Lord God, 15 minutes a day, Lord God. In addition, Lord God, to our daily devotion, Lord, 15 minutes a day, God, to seek you, Lord God. In the power of your spirit and the strength of your might to bring conviction, Lord God, upon this community. Lord, let it begin in this house and let not one soul ever escape a service, Lord God, without being overwhelmed by the conviction of your spirit. In Jesus' name with heads bowed tonight somebody in this house needs to repent you walked in and well maybe he's going to slip right on by that altar call but no we're right here I'm going to give you an opportunity if you're in this house and your, your life is not where it needs to be in God Maybe you've been using spirituality to cover your own weakness. Maybe you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're just like, I need, I need God in my life. I don't want religion. I want relationship. Nobody's looking around. You said, that's me. I need to repent. I need to repent. Just slip your hand up. Anybody in this house, I want to give you an opportunity. Father, we, Lord, don't ever let them go. Don't ever let them go. Don't ever let them go, Lord. Lord, if you can convict in here, you can convict out there. Never let them go, Lord. Move upon them, Father, in such a mighty way. Lord, we thank you tonight. In Jesus' name. In honor of Kenny Murdoch, amen. Let's, Billy, where's Billy? Come Go ahead and just lift your hands to the Lord tonight. Come on, folks. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, keep praying. Keep lifting. Honor the Lord tonight. Hallelujah.